Morning, everybody. Hey, uh, on the screen we have some pictures for you of uh, Food Truck Sunday, which is next week. Uh, Food Truck Sunday is always a blast. Everybody uh, has a great time. Matter of fact, people ask me all the time, why can't we do Food Truck Sunday every Sunday? We can't do that. Uh, we're not going to be able to pull that off, but it is next Sunday, and so we encourage you to come and just have a great time, Food Truck Sunday. All right, who knows who's singing this song? Are you serious? You are joking with me, right? No millennials are in the house today. All right, all right. Could you, hello? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Chris Brown is singing that song. He fancies himself as a transformer, as you can see uh, from the words of that song. And today we're going to talk about I can transform you. God also believes he's a transformer. And our focus today is we're talking about transformation. We talk about hope. How we can go from hopelessness to hope. How we can sustain hope in our lives. Today is the beginning. Uh, well, tomorrow actually is uh, Redskins kick off their season against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we're talking about hope today. You know what I'm saying? We are, we are fully focused on hope. I said something to somebody earlier today and they said you're going to need a lot more than hope. And that's, uh, that's, that is probably true. Listen, God also fancies himself as a transformer and he says this in Hosea chapter 2. Let me give you the background. Let me sum up the entire book of Hosea for you. Things are bad. Like, things are bad. Things are really bad. And even though things were affluent, things were prosperous, they were a prosperous nation at this point. A lot of success. There's tremendous hopelessness. Hosea 2.15 says it this way. I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. How are we doing with hope? All right. How are you doing personally? How do you think our nation is doing with hope? What's going on? I recently read an article by Psychology Today, and they said we are experiencing the United States of America an epidemic of hopelessness. Yes, an epidemic. Even though we, like the nation of Israel, are experiencing tremendous affluence, there is also hopelessness abounding around us. In this article, they said mortality rates in the United States of America are rising, but not from the usual suspects, not from heart disease. They're rising because there's a rash of suicides and drug and alcohol overdoses. And they're saying it's being stimulated by this deep hopelessness that is in our hearts. Well, what do we do about that? This is the focus of the day. How can we sustain hope in our lives? How can we find true hope? Is it possible, everybody, that when things are going so great to still feel very hopeless? Well, you know, the Olympics has been a big deal. Michael Phelps has been a big deal. It's on the screen here behind me. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated recently. You know, before this Rio Olympics and after he was the most decorated Olympian ever, after he had reached so many goals, right, and made so much money and had done so much that he didn't want to leave his room because he was at a very dark place, he says. Tremendous hopelessness. How does that happen? How can you reach so many of your goals? How can you be so successful and yet feel so dark and hopeless? How is that possible to happen? Next week, we're beginning a series called Cash, Career, and Calendar. And what we want to talk in, in that series is, is those are, those are things that are not, they're not permanent. They're very meaningful. 
right? They're very important, but they're all very temporary things. And what we want to do in this series is we want to figure out how we can find greater meaning in cash, career, and calendar. And the book of Ecclesiastes is going to help us out so much. It is a phenomenal book. I've never studied the book of Ecclesiastes. I spent the whole summer studying it. It is an incredible book. It'll change your life. It is a thinking person's book, a thinking. It demands you to think. I mean, some things you read maybe in the Bible, it's like, that's really inspiring. This is inspiring, starts in your brain and then works all the way down. It's an incredible book and it'll give great meaning. So today we want to focus on this before we go into this series next week. How can we sustain hope in our lives? Where is it truly found and where can we find deep meaning? We're going to chart a course today that's going to take us through the next nine months. And it's going to be about, really, today, what this church really stands on and stands for. So before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that you are the source of our hope. Help us to understand what that means. Help us to understand personally what that means in our lives and how it can be sustained. Be with us today, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. It all starts with Christ. Everything about hope starts with Christ, and the Bible is so clear about that in a number of verses. Let me give you just a couple. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that at a time you were separate from Christ, and because you were separate with Christ, Christ what? You were without hope and without God in the world. 1 Timothy 1.1 simply says it this way, you know, Christ is the one who gives us hope. So the picture that is put forward to us in the Bible is that Jesus is the catalyst for hope. Now the problem with that is, is even though the story of Jesus Christ is very, very simple, profound and powerful, that our minds, what we find is the story of Christ is so counterintuitive to our minds that we always keep getting it messed up. It happened constantly throughout the Bible. It's happened constantly throughout the church, church history is that we can't process it. And the first thing that you'll know that, that, that you're going to get off base with the story of Jesus Christ is if you think, well, yeah, that's for other people, but that's not me. I won't mess it up. Well, there's your downfall right there. One of the best ways to protect yourself from not messing up the story of Jesus Christ, that simple yet profound story, is to know that you are a human being like every other human being in this world, like me. What I have to say to myself is, you know what? The way I'm going to protect myself from not misunderstanding this story is to know that I'm going to misunderstand this story because it's counterintuitive to us as human beings. The whole book of Galatians, the letter to Galatians written in the New Testament is all about that. This is why in Romans 12 it says we need our minds transformed. It's an ongoing basis. It's not a one-time transformation to understand this simple yet powerful story of Christ. Now, we have so many studies that reveal the fact that as followers of Christ or as Christians in churches, that we constantly get this misunderstood. So when you ask people, tell me, what is the Christian church all about? What are the responses that are given? But what are the top responses that are always given? The Christian church is a place of judgment. It's a place where I feel blame or I'm given rules. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the blame giver and the rule giver. But the story of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ is the blame what? Taker. And what does he do with the rules? He removes the burden. Give me your burden. My burden is... He's the rule bearer, not the rule giver. But I find that my mind constantly goes... What picture do you have in your mind of Jesus Christ? 
Is it the accurate picture of the story of Christ? Because when we really understand who Christ is, right, when we grasp that, it is inspiring and it gives us tremendous hope when it is understood. So the goal is for the next nine months is that we would have this growing, this increasing understanding of the true story of Jesus Christ. Now today is September 11th. And what do we remember with September 11th? I know many of you know right where, I remember right where I was when it all started to unfold. I was sitting in the office. And for us right here now, we're what, mile and a half from the Pentagon? You think about where you were and what was going on and what went through your mind. What a day of deep, deep, deep darkness, September 11th. But in the midst of the darkness, wasn't there also tremendous hope and inspiration? Wasn't there also this deep feeling about what people did on that day to bring hope to other people? How many stories came out after September 11th that inspired us because of what people did? Running into burning buildings like the Pentagon or the towers up in New York City. And that inspires. So there's a picture. We have a picture here, right, that they found. You remember that? You all, all remember seeing that picture? Found at Ground Zero. Why? I mean, what? that picture went everywhere. They pulled that cross from there and they, they, they mounted it somewhere else. So we could, you know what? So we could see it after they found it in the rubble. Why? Because Jesus Christ, right? That's where he rescued us on the cross. He's the rescuer. And it's a great source of hope because we think about what Jesus Christ has done, like a hero running in to, to rescue us. If you will... Google, inspiring stories from September 11th. One of the first stories you read, it was the top story on the list that I read, was, was about this guy, right? Anybody familiar with the story? Wells Crowther played lacrosse for Boston College. He was a traitor in one of the towers. ESPN did a special on it. It's, uh, I think it's about a 12-minute long special all about this guy. And the, the opening of it is they're interviewing his father, Wells' father. And what does his father say? He opens with a quote from the Bible, from the words of Jesus Christ, greater love has no one than this, than they lay down their life for a friend. Wells is responsible for saving at least 12 people, and when they finally found his body six months after the event, he was with a group of firefighters, and he was running up the steps to rescue more people. When you watch that story on ESPN, you can't help but you're... You feel inspired. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. What picture do you have in your head of Jesus Christ? Because the Bible says that Jesus is a rescuer. So is the picture in your head Jesus Christ is running towards you to rescue you? Is the picture of Jesus Christ running into a burning building to take you out? Look, look, everybody, Jesus Christ is not running into the burden building and get down and say, roll up a scroll and say, here's the Ten Commandments. Okay? Follow these. You'll be okay. Rules are very, very important, extremely important. The Ten Commandments are very, very important. But Jesus Christ is not running into a burning building and say, here's the Ten Commandments. Okay, have a good day. He comes in and he puts us on his back and he takes us to freedom. And when you hear stories about guys like Wells, like, oh my gosh, 
That's incredible. That's Jesus Christ. And when you let it go from here down into your heart and you really understand it, you can't help but be inspired by that. It's phenomenal. But we have to understand it. And one of the ways we're going to not misunderstand it is to know that we're constantly pulled towards a misunderstanding of Jesus Christ. Why we've got to get pulled back. Jesus Christ is the blame taker. He relieves us of the burdens. This is who Jesus Christ is. What picture you have in your head of Christ. So it all starts with Christ. Jesus Christ is the catalyst for all the hope because Jesus Christ is permanent. Second thing, it is supported by community. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two people are better than one. Two better than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two people can stand back to back and conquer. What is this scripture saying? It says, because of community, we can find help. Because of community, we find hope and warmth, and we can find protection. We live in such an awesome, awesome time in history right now, everybody. Because for those of us, who we read the Bible and we say, you know what, can I really, is this right? Is this Bible right? Can I stand on this Bible? Is it true? I mean, how, what is this? What's the deal with the Bible? Can I really trust that, I mean, it's been around for so many years. Could it, we in our such a fantastic time because we at our fingertips have so much data and so much research that as the Bible speaks for thousands of years on, this, on these principles, all the study and the research is standing back over in the corner just shaking its head saying, yep, mm-hmm. yep, exactly right, exactly right. So all the studies we have right now show us what? What's the single greatest predictor of your future happiness? Is it your cholesterol level? Is it your bank account? Massive Harvard study lasted over 75 years. Single greatest predictor of your future happiness is the quality of your community, period. Ecclesiastes, Jesus. What's the Bible all about, Jesus? Well, it's all about having a great relationship with God and a great relationship with other people. See, hope is supported by community. Community is everything. And finally, it's advanced through compassion. Jesus says that it's he was called to serve and he calls us to serve. He says it's better to give than to receive. He talks about laying up the true treasures in heaven in Matthew chapter 6. The true treasures are the things that we do to make a difference in other people's lives. It's service. This, you've come on a good day if this is your first day. And you're like, well, what is this all about? And what does it mean to be this church for people who don't go to church? I don't quite understand that. I don't think I like it. Okay, here's what this... <laughs> Here's what, the, here's, here's what this thing is all about. Here's what it means to be graceful. Here's where we feel God is. This is it. We want to focus on Christ, community, and compassion, the true story of Jesus Christ, over and over and over and over again. Community, increasing the quality of community for our lives because it produces hope. Compassion, to serve. Listen, you'll never, Jesus is the catalyst for all this. You'll never find somebody who's genuinely increasing in a true understanding of Jesus Christ that is not seeking to improve their relationships on sound biblical principles. You won't find somebody as, like they're all growing in Christ, but around them they could care less that their relationships are a disaster. You won't find somebody who's increasing in their knowledge, true knowledge of Jesus Christ that is not compelled to serve other people you see somebody like that they're on a different Christ path 
Jesus Christ is the catalyst for all this. So here's, here's what I want to say now. We need to, and if you like to fill this in, this is going to be really important. We need to prioritize the permanent and deprioritize the temporary. Because what we're always drawn to is to make priorities out of the temporary, right? And to deprioritize what is permanent. Instead, we need to prioritize those things that last forever. We need to do that. A Greek philosopher said it this way Our predicament is this over and over again, we lose sight of what is important and what isn't. Cash, career, and my crazy calendar will start next week. There is nothing wrong with those things. Absolutely nothing. They just happen to be all be temporary things. They just do. And when you try to stand on something temporary, you're going to find yourself living a life that is empty and meaningless. You can't find hope there. There's no permanence there. You have to stand on Jesus Christ. Christ is permanent. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the king, eternal, immortal. Christ is permanent forever and ever, Jesus Christ. Community is permanent. We take our relationships with us into eternity. You don't take your cash. You don't take your car. You don't take your college degree. You don't take any of that stuff. It's not going with you. But your relationships go with you. Compassion goes with you. All those treasures that you've laid up in heaven. I grew up in church. I've been in church all my life. That's why it makes it so weird that I'm the pastor of a church for people who don't go to church. I've been in church my whole life. The picture in my head was not the picture of Jesus Christ running into a burning building to rescue me. The picture in my head was Jesus running around with a long list of rules. You better do this, and you better do this. And one day... With God's help, that picture began to change. And when it did, when it did, hope went into my heart. Inspiration went into me. Now look, it came and went, came and went, came and went. You know why? Because I'm a human being and I keep getting it messed up. But when I began to understand, and that picture in my head was Jesus Christ running in to rescue me, that I was in a perilous situation that... There was nothing I could do about it, and he needed to put me on his back and drag me out of that building. That's when inspiration began to flood my heart and my soul. Is that the picture that is in your head? Different times of my life, dark times, I've had people come around me. I could rattle off a number of them right now where people have come around me and have supported me, have been there for me, and has caused tremendous hope in my life and continue to bring tremendous hope in my life. I think about the times when I turn in towards myself, right? I think, woe is me. And then all of a sudden, I'll start serving somebody else and hope is renewed in my life. We want to encourage you to start your day with Jesus Christ, to have a growing understanding of Jesus Christ, to get in a sign up for a community group, to, to develop your quality relationships in your life. This book that many of our groups are going to be studying is absolutely awesome, Freebird. And it talks so much more about what I'm talking about this morning, about prioritizing the permanent. The book of Ecclesiastes is summed up in the 12th chapter very clearly. It says this, fear God. Now, fear doesn't mean to cower in the corner somewhere. Fear simply means this. It means to make God your number one priority. Why? Because that's permanent and nothing else is in our life. That's what is permanent. I want to challenge you today 
to fix a plan that is focused on things that are permanent and not on things that are temporary in our lives. One of the things that I have seen out of this book of Ecclesiastes, I call it the great Windex of life. And we're going to elaborate on this a whole lot in the next few weeks. It's like Windex because it clears away all the debris so that we can really see what matters in life. All right. Now, I'd like for you, we gave out some notebooks. I hope you have them. This is going to be really important here this morning. These notebooks are. This is my old notebook. I'm moving to a new notebook now that, that I'm using. But I'd like you to locate these. This is, this is going to be important. So I just said that you need to make um, a roadmap. You need to make a flight plan. Uh, you, you need to have a goal. You need to have something that you're shooting for. This is just very important in our lives. And I want to encourage you uh, something about this notebook here this morning and kind of how to, how to, how to, how to use it how to utilize it in a great way to keep you on track. Because here's the thing. The United States Air Force did a study. And this is what they found out, is that people forget 95% of what they hear in 72 hours. I'm going to say that again. It's very depressing for me. People forget 95% of what they hear in 72 hours unless they write it down. Now, some people say that the Air Force is the smartest people in all the military. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. But <clears throat> I want to encourage you to write some stuff down because it will change your life. You want to transform your life. You want to transform the world around you, transform this city. Right? You want to make a difference in the world. You've got to set a goal, and writing things down is very, very effective, and then how we write them down. So we want to put in here a plan for those things that are permanent and put the permanent things right up front and put the temporary stuff later on in there. Now, let me give you another, another study. Harvard and Yale did a study, and they found that people that write down their plan, write down their goals, are 10 times more effective than people who don't. Did you hear what I just said? Not one time, not two times, not three times. People who write their plan down are 10 times more effective than people who don't, but only 3% of Americans do it. You want to jump right to the top 3% of the United States of America? Take this notebook and use it. This cheap 50 cents. Actually, we got the notebooks for, and I feel so good about this. We got it for 17 cents. <laughs> not, that I, not that I'm cheap. Okay. This little 17 cent notebook can have tre tremendous transformation in life if you will use it effectively. And I just want to tell you real quick the ways that I, I have used it. So what I did with, with mine in the beginning is I put the answers here up front, like how God was answering prayer. And stupid me, I thought, well, all I need is the front flap and that'll cover it. Well, in six months, God answered a hundred prayers that I had written in this book, and I had to like, so this book is all messed up. It's crazy. So in my new book, I'm going to allow for like 10 pages up front so I can write all the answers because apparently God is answering a lot more prayer than I realized he was answering, okay? So put your answers up front. Then start this way. Start with the permanent. Start with Jesus Christ. It's how I start mine. I started mine by saying, okay, Jesus, I want to be a better follower of you. I want to understand you more. I want to every single morning when I wake up, I want to say, Jesus, help me to start my day with you and to start by understanding your story so much better every day because I, have a, I, I just have a predisposition of getting off track. 
right? And I also want to have, be a more loving patient, all these things that are called the produce or the effects or the fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I want to grow in those permanent things. I want to understand you more. So I do that first. And then the second thing is I go Christ and I go to community. Help me to improve my quality of community. Help me to please help me to be a better husband to my wife, Krista, which she's wildly thrilled about. But that's right at the top. God, please help me to be a better. Help me to be a better father. Help me to be a better friend. I just go right down the list. God, help me to improve Christ, community, compassion, because these things are permanent in our lives. Now, I want to ask you, right? Because some of you are listening to me now, and, and so if the numbers are right, only 3% of you are even considering doing what I'm talking about here right now. So there's a reality to this situation. So I want to ask you to get radical today. I want to ask you in the conclusion of this message to get really radical. You know what radical is? Radical is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to leapfrog into the top 3%. I'm going to write it down. I see the numbers. Harvard and Yale, they can't be wrong, right? Harvard and Yale's got to be right. I'll be 10 times more. I'm going to write, write my plan down. I'm going to start with Christ, community, and compassion. And I'm going to stand on those things that are permanent. I'm going to make a plan to prioritize what is permanent. Now, you all know what most Americans begin their day with, right? Wrong. What do, most, what do most Americans start their day with? Here it is. Here it is. The majority of Americans start right here. Start right here. The love of our life, our phones. Okay? We start with emails, texts, and social media. Okay? And it provides for us what researchers say is a dopamine rush. Dopamine is addictive. And so what it does, it just floods us. And if, if we wake up in the morning and we haven't had responses on emails or text or social media, we'll start pinging people to get the response because when we get the response, <clears throat> we get that rush. It makes us feel good, okay? But this is what researchers say. Now, because of the dopamine addiction, right, because it hits us, what happens the rest of our day? Research shows that the rest of the day we keep coming back to the addiction. Like we can't focus because we want to keep coming back. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to do something radical. I want to ask you to do something really radical. I want to ask you to start your day, not with your phone, but with Jesus Christ. I want you to ask you to start your day. I didn't, I, say, I didn't say give 20 or 30 or 40 minutes. I just said, could you, before you grab your phone, could you, before you grab your phone, say, Jesus, I want to start my day with you. I want to have a better understanding of you. I want you to help me increase the quality of my community, and I want you to help me to be a better servant of you. Could we start with that? I want to, so, listen, you might say, well, John, that doesn't sound so radical. Ha, try it. <laughs> I've been thinking about this all summer. I can't even do it. Okay, so that sets the tone. That, set, that charts the path for your day. Chart it on something that's permanent. You will always be drawn to the temporary. Focus on what is permanent, and what is permanent is Jesus Christ. Get radical. Get radical. Now, I know. Let me deal with this word radical for just a second. Because when we think about the word radical, we say, oh, man, radical is not a good word. Please. Radical is not a good word, John. I mean, we want to be moderate. We want to get rid of, we want to get rid of radical, because radical is what's causing all the problems in the world. Can we just, can we just deal with moderate? I read a book over the summer. Actually, I haven't finished it yet. Adam, Adam Grant's book, Originals. Maybe some of you have read it, the originals. Uh, in it, 
They found that the people who really change the world and move the world forward are people who are originals. They're not status quo people. And one of the studies that they did was on elementary school teachers, and they said, you know, who, who are your favorite students? And in every single case, it was kids who just kept the status quo, kids who just, like, blended in. And all the kids who were, like, woo, just, you know, I mean, pushing it, right? they were not the teacher's pet because we learn to, you know, to blend in, right? That's what we're supposed to blend in. But it's people who are radical. It's people who are original. It's people who, the top 3%, write things down and make a plan for the permanent, who push the world forward. And what I'm asking you to do is to push hope forward because we're having an epidemic of hopelessness. Now, let's talk about first, second, second, and third century Christians. They were absolutely radical. They were incredibly radical people. You think about that. In, in and around Rome, everybody, they were persecuted beaten, robbed, thrown to the lions, lots of terrible stuff, lots of terrible stuff, and they were incredibly radical people. Radical how? Listen, when people really understand Jesus Christ, this is a historical fact. This is when the world changes. People might say, oh, man, well, well, let's don't go too far with this Jesus thing. Oh, no, please go very far. No, no, I'm, and this is a fact. Please go very, very far. See, the problem is, is we see all the bad pictures, right? We see people who have a total misunderstanding of Jesus, who stand up on some kind of platform and all kinds of news crews come around them and they say something that's totally not Jesus and we're like, oh, okay, we'll back it down, just get moderate. For somebody who truly understands Jesus, see, the first, second, and third century Christians understood this about Jesus. The picture in their head was Jesus Christ was running into a burning building, carrying people out. That was the picture in their head. And because of it, you know what they were? They were radically forgiving. Even though they'd been beaten, persecuted, robbed, they were radically forgiving. They were radically kind. They were radically loving. They were radically patient. And so when plagues, as they did, repeatedly hit the city of Rome, what did they do? What did they do? Well, they had a picture in their head. What's pictures in your head? What is the picture in your head? The picture in their head was Jesus Christ running into a burning building. So what did they do when the plague hit Rome? Everybody was running out, and they did what, everybody? Guess. They ran in. They ran in. They ran in. And they transformed that city plague after plague after plague after plague because the picture in their head was Jesus Christ was radically kind, radically forgiving, radically patient, radically loving. He was a radical rescuer. He was a rescuer. He was putting people on his back and carrying them out. And it changed that city. It changed the city that celebrated watching people get eaten by lions to shutting down the Colosseum. It changed that city. That's some serious hope. Where did it come from? A picture in the head that was accurate, that Jesus Christ is a rescuer. It came because the community, if you read much about the first, second, third century church, you know it was all about community, you know it was all about service. They stood on three things, three permanent things, Christ, community, and compassion, and it absolutely changed the world. I want to ask you to do the same thing. Now, I want to show you a video. We're almost done. This video is really important. I want you to listen very, very closely. We started with Michael Phelps. We're going to end with Michael Phelps, and I want to remind you of this. Jesus Christ is the catalyst for hope. And when Jesus Christ is there, everybody, it affects your community and it affects your compassion, your service. You're going to see all of that in 90 seconds here. You're going to have to pay careful attention to all the words that are spoken Watch what happens. All right, let's roll the video. Okay, everybody, you can check out that on the whole thing if you want to. It goes much longer. Look, that's, a, that's an incredible video. 
That book, written by a pastor, Purpose Driven Life, is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about standing on the per something that's permanent, and that's Jesus Christ. And did you catch the ripple effect? Did you see how Jesus Christ triggered the fact that he began to resolve the conflict with his father, how it affected community, which is a double whammy because he said earlier in that video, he says, I always thought I was, I was the baby. I was going to be the baby that brought everybody back together. That's like my service, my compassion, my service. Christ's community compassion, it's all wrapped up in there, but Jesus Christ is the trigger. It's having a genuine understanding, a true understanding of the story of Christ. It inspires us. It leads to hope. It increases the quality of our community and compassion. These are the three things that we need to stand on. That's what this church stands on. We're going to stand on it over and over again. And I want to encourage you, please get radical. Write down your flight plan. Write down your roadmap here, but just make sure that your roadmap, of course, yes, you want a million dollars. I'm all for it. Million dollars. You should have it. Great. A Ferrari. You should have it. Good. Write it down. But before you write those things down, write down the things that are permanent because you won't take the Ferrari with you. Write down, I want to grow in Christ. I want to grow in community. I want to grow in compassion because those are things that will lead you to hope. All right. Let me conclude before we stand and sing this song. Here's the deal. Everything about Jesus Christ is relational, everybody. Everything, right? Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Nobody really has a great definition. We can't fully describe what that is, but here's what we do know. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is a divine community. Everything about Jesus Christ is relational. Everything is spread about the story of Jesus Christ is totally spread relational. Some of you might saw we have a sign spinner out on the corner day, which I think is awesome. We want to have, but you know what? People don't come, for the most part, to understanding the story of Christ through a sign spinner or a Facebook ad. They come because somebody tells them the story of Jesus Christ, like a Michael Phelps or a Ray Lewis. And I want to challenge you to be a Michael Phelps or Ray Lewis. 86% of the people in America go to church because why? A friend invited them to come. So we're going to give you $100,000 this morning. All right, it's in this bag on your way out. You're all going to get this little bag. And I just need to clarify. They asked me to clarify something. This isn't for you because it says a free lunch next week. And we just want to be clear. That's not a free lunch for you. You're to give this to a friend. And if your friend comes, both you and your friend eat free. But it's not like you just walk back in and say, all right, I'm here. Give me the free lunch. So you'll pick these up on your way out as a sweet reminder to invite a friend. And it has a little description in here about what cash, career, and calendar is really all about and how we can make greater meaning about that. So we want to spread the word. Look, uh, some of you are going to absolutely love this series on Ecclesiastes. You're going to like, oh my gosh, does it really say that in there? Are you serious? Does he start out by saying, I hate life? Yes, he does. But there's also these lines in there where he says this, don't be too good. Don't be too. So you tell your friend who says, I don't go to church. They tell me I've got to be good and I'm bad. Well, tell them that we're preaching on a book that says that don't be too good. Like, make sure you're a little bit wild. Okay? So maybe they'll, maybe they'll come. That's what it said. Maybe you didn't know that. Also, it says don't talk too much. So here's the deal. This, the sermons have to be shorter. They have to be shorter. I mean, I can't preach on book Ecclesiastes if I have long sermons. Right? Okay. All right. So let's end here, everybody. Our prayer team is over here. I'm going to ask the prayer team if they would go over there now. All right? If you just stand up, go over there now. Here's the deal. I'm very serious when I say this, okay? Some of you are getting ready to embark on a nine-month journey, and your life is going to change. 
Some of you are going to change your jobs in the next nine months as a result of what you write in this book. Some of you are going to have your relationships transformed. You're going to have them improved because of what you focus on here because you're going to be 10 times more successful. And the reason I want to highlight our prayer team is, is they're going to be over here for you to go over there and pray with them. Say, so, you know what? I'm getting ready to write stuff down in this, in this book, this 17 cent book this week. And it's going to be about my life. And my life is really important to me. Would you pray with me about that? I would strongly encourage you to do that. For some of you, that's a radical idea, but it's a day to be radical. Finally, if it's your first time here, we're thrilled that you're here today. We do something right over here, right by that sign. Heather's holding up called Grace in Five. We tell you everything there is to know about this church in five minutes less. I'd love to meet you over there. Let's stand and sing. Let me pray before we do. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for every person in this room and that, God, you have an awesome and a mighty plan. Help us, Lord God, to focus on those things that are permanent and radically change our lives and change the lives of those around us. In Christ's name, everybody said, amen. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.